Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa. Nati janang apanya sapanya nati ajato yamhi janang japanya chasawe nibbana santike. One of my favorite sayings, verse 372 of the Dhammapada. I don't know many of the sayings, but I know that one. Uh, and the reason is, is because it means there's no jhana without wisdom, there's no wisdom without jhana. And those who have jhana and wisdom, they're in the presence of nibbana. Because usually towards the end of the retreat, you want to turn much more towards wisdom, to insight, to understanding. You know, whenever I give talks, it's mostly about how to get into the deep meditations, how to get jhanas, giving you tips and stuff like that. But it's also part of the job to give us some deeper understanding of the Dhamma, how I understand it, how I see it, because the two always go together. And sometimes in the practice of insight, which means the development of wisdom, of panya, in order to develop that wisdom, we do need a very clear mind, a very still mind, it says so often in the suttas, as the people in the front row all know, and the back row I hope know by now, that it's from stillness you see things as they truly are. And especially, you know, from that deep stillness of samadhi, the samasamadhi, of the jhanas, you see things as they truly are. But with the development of insight, as I tried to explain throughout this retreat and all the other retreats, you get insights at all levels of this path. You get levels even just living monastic life, you know, in doing the work, in just learning how to let go when somebody does something wrong which they shouldn't do, not to be angry at others, not to be guilty at oneself, have this beautiful forgiving mind which is letting go. And sometimes that you know, we think that all insight, understanding practice is what happens when you sit on the meditation cushion or do the walking meditation. That's not so. You get insight just when you are eating your meal. I always get lots of insight. Whenever I've con- I eat my meal, I always contemplate anicca, especially if it's fish and chips. It disappears very quickly. It's there one moment, it's gone the next. Anicca. So <laughs> that's only a joke. <laughs> but you do find so much of insight in just the little things of your life. And so often, whenever I've tried to control things, I've always find out that everything tends to go wrong. When you tend to flow with things more, they tend to go much better. I still remember just the old stories, when I was a young monk story, here we go again, some of you heard this before, but it comes to my mind. Whenever we would um, do making the robes, especially just at Katina time. We'd have to be up all night just making the dye, but it was at least one time when you could have tea and coffee. They'd probably only have a cup of tea or coffee once a week if you were lucky in those days. And that's no exaggeration, that's absolutely true. And But whenever you were doing the dyeing, you'd be able to have you know as much tea and coffee as you want to be able to stay up all night to do that. So there was my mates were making the uh, the dye at the dyeing shed. 
And I woke up early, about sort of you know, half past two. That's, you know, we had always had to get up at three o'clock. And as I was sitting there just wondering what I should do before going to the, the morning chanting at 3.30, should I go to the dying shed and catch a cup of tea or coffee from my friends? They were sure to give it to me. Or should I just stop my defilements and just sit there until, you know, 3.15 and then just go and get my cup of tea and coffee? And I was a really good monk. I had a lot of restraint. But before I knew it, I was walking on the way to the dying shed. <laughs> Just what you do as a young monk. You know, you crave something at that time in the morning. And so off I was walking to the dying shed. And I know the time because I heard the bell ring for three o'clock on the way. And when I got to the dying shed, it was all empty. The monks had finished and cleaned up. But everything was still warm, but there was no one there. So I thought, oh, I just missed it, never mind. So from there I went straight to the, the sala for the morning meditation and chanting. <coughs> when it finished, just before arms round, the monks who had been at the dying shed, they came up to me and said, where were you at 3 a.m. when the bell went? We came to bring you a cup of tea. <laughs> That was true. If I'd have just restrained myself and just sat in my hut, instead of searching for the cup of tea, the cup of tea would have come to me. And I always remember that. Just real story, absolutely 100% true. And this is what happens when you go searching for things. So that was much better than having that cup of tea that day. I learned the insight of just letting things come to you rather than you going chasing things. And that's also just you know what I learned from the meditation, what I learned, you know, how to get deep meditation as well. Don't go chasing things. You sit there and eventually they come to you. You've got to sit there very still. Ajahn Chah's great simile, you know, sitting under the mango tree. If you shake the mango tree, throw sticks at it, um, climb it, you never get anything. You sit under there perfectly still with your hand open, with your mind open. And the great things fall into your hand. Now that is a powerful, what we call insight. And of course, it sounds really great because it's counterintuitive, not other people say, and it inspires people. But of course, you can't do it. So what most people do in life, they sit under the mango tree and say, come on, mango, come on, come on, come on, come on. I've been sitting here for too long. It's about time you felt. That's not being still. You've got to be perfectly still for these things to happen. But these are the sort of <coughs> insights which I got just from living ordinary monastic life. The insights into, you know, the disappointments which come. You just can't control anything. You can't even control yourself. How can you control other people, other monks? You know, they're always disappointing, you, never turning up on time. You give them a job, they never do the job the way they should have done, and you can do it better, but if you do it, actually sometimes I always think I can do it better, but most of the time I do it worse. But I always think I can do it better. <laughs> All of that stuff is teaching you. It's teaching this basic insight into not control, non-self, non-judging, never ever thinking you are better than anybody else. Because of your education, because of your skill, because you were good meditator because you can do all these other tasks, because you can chart the putty moko. You, you don't think you're worse because you're hopeless at work. 
You don't know one end of a broom from another when you sweep the leaves. And you don't, you can't meditate for your life. And you, you can't even do the Namo Tassa, let alone the Patimokha chant, you know, in key. So people like that, they think they're terrible. No! You're most welcome in this monastery. Because we never think we're better, we never think we're worse, we never think we're the same. We just do not compare one another. And that's you no know, part of the great insight of you know, mana, the three manas of conceit. And this is such a beautiful insight which we get when we're working. And what that means is that when we're meditating, again, we never think this is a good meditation, that's a bad meditation, this is the same meditation as before. When it teaches us, you know, even in the just general work, it teaches us the insight of not being judgmental. You know, just one day is hot, one day is cold, one day is wet, one day is dry. That's the nature of life. You can't compare which day is the best. When it's dry, it's great to do the weed killing, so that, you know, spray the weeds so that the forest is really wonderful and beautiful. When it's wet, it's great to fill up the water tanks. So every day, just, you always see the, Again, the best thing is see the positive side of it. I always try and tell people that, you know, if you if you get so many times that people come up to me just after the meal and they <coughs> they come and ask all their questions, I've lost my job. Great, now you can have a rest. You always keep telling me how stressed out you are. It'd be great if I could lose my job as an abbot. You know, if I get retrenched or something, I can put my feet up and just enjoy my meditation. So, you know, I'm looking to be sacked. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> whatever. But you can see, you can always see the positive side of it. So, you know, if you're okay, so you, you're sick in hospital. I often tell people, it's wonderful to be sick. All these people can practice their loving kindness on you. You're a great field of merit for people when you're sick, because even the Buddha said, when you look after a sick person, it's like looking after the Buddha. So, you know, I'm like a Buddha when I'm sick. So if anyone of you is sick, great, you know, you're doing the Buddha practice. So come and look after me. So whatever it is, you can see that when you're putting that positive side in the things you have to do in life, if you have to work really hard, you know, like I always have to do, it's like making more merit. You know, it's more things, more, more power which I can develop from my mind. And I just know this from personal practice. If I really give, 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 really serve, when I do get a few minutes to meditate, the mind is just so pure and beautiful that when nimitta comes up, it comes up pretty quickly because it's so powerful, then you're, you're away. It's just that sense of giving and letting go and not controlling, not comparing, that what we call the purity of the heart, that is fundamental to the practice of meditation and development of you know, release. You've got to be a pure person. You know, Devadatta, you know, once he started messing around and getting into big ego, thinking he was the best, he lost all his meditation. You just can't do it with that type of mind. So all of those pure minds which we can develop just in their everyday life, sitting next to someone, maybe you don't like them, and being able to talk to them, cheer them up when they're down, have fun with them, take their food to them when they're on retreat to make sure they get the best food you can possibly get you know, for them, finding out what they like and putting what they like in there, not what you think they should like. Looking after the lay people when they come here, even though you don't like the working in the kitchen, but you know, this is your service and give to others. 
with this beautiful sense of selflessness and that if you've got the right attitude you have this beautiful pure heart a heart full of merit merit is not something you store for a future life it's what you put in your heart for now it's beautiful positive energy so it makes you happy now and it gives you energy now and this beautiful bright mind now you're developing the wisdom which leads to samadhi and the samadhi which leads to wisdom all moving around one another and with that happiness it becomes much easier to sit down and meditate when you're fed up pissed off had a really bad time it's very hard to sit down the negativity causes restlessness you know, just trying to find some way of getting out of that suffering mind. But when the mind is happy, it's pretty content. Content enough just to sit down in your heart and just meditate for long periods of time. The contentment, the happiness which we get. So this is where we're learning something. You can't force the mind. You, know, you can't just take the mind and say, right, you're going to now meditate for two hours and this is it. Okay, no funny business, I'm not taking any shit from you mind, you're going to meditate and this is it. You try that and you get even more shit from the mind, more than you can handle. So you can't do that. You have to use the wisdom power to be able to cultivate the beautiful mind outside of meditation. And that's the whole point of the gradual practice of doing the service, the restraint, the kindness, the uh, precepts, the, the precepts are not just I will not kill, I will not steal, it's not just not, 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 not. It's actually doing something positive, you know, helping, serving, forgiving, being kind, being restrained. That's all part of the, the precepts of training of a monastic and everybody else basically if they want to get into the deep meditations. And often say that to people, sometimes it's mostly lay people who come on retreats, not the people here because, you know, you're the creme de la creme, as far as I'm concerned. But these are some of the lay people who come on retreats. Oh, I can't get into jhanas. I've been meditating for such a long time. How long have you been keeping the five precepts? Oh, I don't keep the five precepts, but I've been meditating for a long time. <laughs> of course, now you know why you're not getting into the deep meditations. You haven't got a pure mind. You need that pure mind. You know, and even they've been keeping the precepts, always angry and upset and causing problems with other people. You know, that's still not a pure mind. You're not going to get anywhere. Now, this is the insight which really want people to get, first of all. So they understand the path towards meditation, stillness, and then how it leads, how it leads seamlessly all the way. Because, you know, you've heard me teaching throughout the whole range retreat. When, yeah, when you do sit down, you've got to try and get some joy up in the mind, first of all. The general kindness. If you haven't been practicing kindness throughout the day, how the heck do you think you can do kindness when you sit down and meditate? You know, you meditate on a stupid cushion, you know, it's just always too hard. You make it soft and it's just in the wrong place under your bum. Move it this way. You, just, you get this negative fault-finding mind and nothing is right. The heart is too cold, so you turn on your heater and then it's too damn hot and you've got to turn it down again. Open the window, but then you get hay fever when all the pollen comes in. And oh, you just get really fed up. Throwing your, throwing your cushion at the window or something. 
You can see what happens when you get into that sort of negative mind. So you have to be very careful to cultivate a beautiful mind throughout the day. And then you have a beautiful mind to work with in your meditation. And you get sick sometimes. We all get sick. We're all getting old. We're all wearing out. Some faster than others, Amanda's. <laughs> Sorry, I always usually you're doing well. I don't really mean that. Sorry, I apologise. <laughs> but we're all wearing out. But how are you going to deal with that? This is a great wisdom which you you can learn as an old guy or girl, Neroda. <laughs> we're getting really, really old. But or um, Harper Jeopardy, I think you're a boulder. We all know that's happening, but just the Buddha kept on saying, you know, the mind is sick, the body doesn't need, sorry, the body is sick, the mind doesn't need to be sick. And as I was telling someone, it's really great when you're on that age, when no matter what you do, it's going to ache. That's brilliant. That's the best. The worst is that, in my experience, when you've got a pain or an ache or a sickness, and there's a possibility of healing it, it means you've got something to do. You've got some business. I've got too much business. So if I want to get sick, I want to get sick, which you can't heal. So that means I don't have anything to do. I'm sweet. Because then all you can do is accept. Let it be. Embrace. Totally. You can't do anything about it. And it's wonderful when you realize that. Because then you just got no choice. You have to let go. You get so much great insights with the extreme sicknesses, especially the sicknesses which cannot be cured, like old age. It means that you just let it be. And you have to, full on. You know all that story I've seen, Open the Door of Your Heart, the first time I did that with just a toothache, that was all. Well, that was such an amazing experience. That is incredible, really bad toothache. No way you could sleep, couldn't chant, do anything, couldn't sit meditation even. And just driving you crazy in the middle of the night until I realized there's nothing I could do, it's getting worse. And just a moment, that's all it took of letting go. And then the whole thing, and I'm not joking about this, immediately the pain vanished. It was weird, but of course you really blissed out. You know, just terrible pain and then nothing there at all. Totally gone. And it sort of started, those insights which you get from letting go. These aren't insights you get from thinking. This is something, you can't think this, it doesn't make any sense. It's the insights you get from experience of what happens when you practice the Dhamma 100% and the unexpected happens. Suffering, or at least the physical suffering, ceases immediately. How did that happen? How did it become extinct for a few moments? Not for a few moments, for a few hours. Now that really starts to teach you something. It starts to teach you what to do even when you get into the meditations. Sometimes you can be struggling with your meditation hour, day after day, month, year after year. <coughs> and sometimes people think, I'm making no progress. When is it going to happen? I'm getting old. There's not much time left. <laughs> Forget about all of that. In one moment... You can really let go and get the highest meditation. That's the truth. You're that close, but you can spend years just struggling, 
All it takes is that really great act of letting go. And you understand through the insight of experience what that actually is. And it's not a, it's, you can't get there intellectually. It just, these things happen from time to time. And when you do have a good meditation, I keep asking you, get insight from it. Suck as much insight out of that experience as you possibly can. And the biggest insight, you know, I've been teaching a long time. I've got good meditation. Every time when people say they've done some big jhana or something, or even an ordinary jhana, the first time when I was teaching and I asked people, I asked them, what did you do this time? I remember the first guy said, I let go. I really let go. I really let go for the first time. Yes. The next person, I let go. I really let go. I let go for the first time. Yeah, I've heard that before. But the amazing thing is that this is always a cause. You don't create it. You don't strive for it. You don't struggle for it. You have to do this amazing switch from what you've been doing all your life or many lives and this incredible letting go. And when you do that, just once, and you get this incredible paycheck, you learn. This is insight, real insight. Insight into understanding the cause. What it really means letting go. And what the opposite, what you were doing before was some type of craving, wanting. And you understand that that was what was stopping you. Stopping you progressing on this path of the Buddha, this incredible path, which is not the path of the world. It's not the ordinary path of ordinary human beings. Everybody strives. And sometimes I read the newspapers and some of these people, the amount of stuff they strive, especially these sports people. I remember reading a story of this marathon runner and just how many hours every day for years he had to train to get up to Olympic standard. And how he, you know, he, he had to have special diets and special training and the amount of commitment and effort was much more than I've seen any monk ever do, ever. For what? <laughs> I think he came second in the end. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> this is one of the problems. So there's, that is not the way. There must be another way. And of course, that's you know, the whole story of the Buddha. Striving, struggling, working really hard, six years, getting absolutely nowhere. And it was that sometimes this actually happens. It's a great thing to talk about at this time in the retreat. It's getting towards the end of the retreat. Many of you haven't got anything at all to show for all the time you've been here. Brilliant. Well done. <laughs> so maybe try something different. <laughs> Get really frustrated and give up. Give up. Let go. Abandon. That's... What was it? That, oh, this was um, Dante's Inferno. The Gates of Hell in this uh, trilogy written by the medieval poet, author Dante. And the Gates of Hell on the front there was Give up hope, all ye who enter here. And that would be great to write that on the gates of Dhammasara Monastery, Jhana Grove and Bodhinyana as well. You can put it on Santi as well. Give up hope, all ye who enter here. That's, that's the path of Nibbana. <laughs> Not the path of hell. You give up. All 
focusing on the future, which is hope. Give up all focusing on the past, which is guilt and anger. And just stay in this beautiful present moment. Let go, for goodness sake. Let it be. And if you do that 100%, sometimes it's difficult to do, but you keep playing around in that area. This is why I teach like this. Keep playing around, experimenting, get in that area of letting go, present moment, no desire, beautiful kindness. Get in that area as much as possible until you actually find the button and press the letting go button properly. And then bam, bam, boom, boom, it all comes. And you get blown away. Which is great. I love that when somebody comes up to me and they just got blown away. Wow. Yes, this is what we're here for. To understand that great insight of what causes deep blisses of jhanas. Because this is not just for the fun of it, which is, you know, the fun of it is worth it. But that's not the point. It's the why. What did you do? You stopped craving. And this is what happens when you stop craving. We all know the Four Noble Truths in theory, but can you do the Four Noble Truths? Can you actually practice them? Totally. 100%. Because if you do, this is what happens. You let go. You know, just the, the fall in and goes, the end of craving. What is it? Chago, Patinisago, Muti, Analio. Those four ways of letting go, you actually do it. And then you bliss out. And this, I think it's, it, I know it's somewhere, I think it's in Anguttara, the Buddha actually says the jhanas are a taste of Nibbana, or Nibbana here and now. He actually says that in one place. I got the, I know because Bhikkhu Bodhi just challenged me on that, and I found it somewhere. But anyway, you all know that the one of the descriptions of first jhana this is just a description. The Buddha called it Sambodhi Sukha. That's a brilliant line. Sambodhi Sukha. The bliss of enlightenment. And I've often mentioned this is not enlightenment, but it, it's got the taste of freedom, the taste of enlightenment. You're really close. You get some idea. Because this is the bliss of letting go of renunciation. That's one of the other descriptions. The Nekama Sukha. The bliss of having really let go, renounced, given up. And what that does, that reinforces the insight that this is powerful, this is what letting go is, and this is what happens. And of course, you also experience, and this is the other thing which I've kept on emphasizing, when you do have a big experience, and people say, well, what do I do next? There's never any next, but... What you can reflect on is what was missing in those experiences. What disappeared? What ceased in that experience? What faded away? What viragued? And that is the, the was it the the seam of gold in these deep experiences, where the great insights lie. You see that, my goodness. Things which have always been there. Things which, you know, you always took for granted are gone. And that's why it's blissful. Just talking to someone on the phone before the 
the talk, and they were just, you know, asking, they know all the theoretical dharma, the five candors, and there is no self, but why is it people can know that, but they can't be, be enlightened? They still get upset, they get angry, they get craving. You know it, but why? It's because you know it, but you haven't seen it. You haven't really experienced it. You haven't experienced you know, things like the candors actually vanishing. Only then do you know they're not self. When they vanish. Only then do you know they're anicca. You know, always I call it anicca, not just rise and fall, but gone. Things which were always there, no longer there. They're just so many similes. A simile <coughs> comes to mind, the TV set. Yeah, the channels come and go. Yeah, you can see impermanence of, you know, one channel, the ABC, SBN, what other channels are, I don't know what other channels there are, no ABC and SBS on TV, but what other channels there are, but they come and go. But to see the TV set disappear, all vanished, no screen, no electronics behind, no cable, totally the TV set, totally gone, vanished, poof, into thin air. That's amazing. That's what it's like in these meditations. Things which have always been there, which you can't really conceive of them disappearing. Now they have gone. And of course, it again blows your mind again. This is the insights which give rise to the, we call the paths and fruits, are not small ones. They're incredibly powerful, which turn you upside down for days. Just, what the hell's happened? And you know, you don't see things in the same way anymore. This is the catharsis type. You know, when catharsis is when the, what is it, the caterpillar goes into the cocoon and comes out a butterfly. It's a huge change. And that's actually what happens with these incredible insights. That's why it's a stillness gives rise to those insights, the Buddha kept on saying. <coughs> the stillness is a disappearing of things. And yeah, it's just it's such a wonderful to see things disappear. That's one of Ajahn Chah's always famous sayings. He said he always liked to see the end of things, never the beginning of more things. You know, building another monastery, writing another book. There's always more things to be done, but to see things end and disappear and vanish, that's really cool. That gives you hope that this samsara, whether it's building monasteries or writing books, or doing emails, or whatever else you get into in monastic life, which you have to do, it's part of your service, which is beautiful to do. It's part of the path. But to see everything end, wow. That gives you freedom to realize that you're not going to have to go on forever. There is an ending, there is a nirvana. Things actually cease. And you understand how they cease. Just this beautiful letting go, giving up. And of course, when you see things ceasing, you understand just you know what it means by what's that saying of the uh, the stream winners, yang kinchi samudhiya dhammang sabantang niroda dhammanti. Whatever has an origin is a samudhiya. All that is a nature to nibbana, to cease. What it means by origin it doesn't mean to rise. It means it has its causes. Like uh, I think this is in the Satipatthana Sangyutta, the causes of you know, of the body or things. 
cause of the body was food, I think. The cause of Vedana, the second Satipatthana, is, is passa, contact. The third one is my favorite, the cause of the jitta, of the mind. It arises because of Namarupa. When Namarupa stops, so does the jitta stop. Even the original Namarupa stops, and the original mind stops. <laughs> it's cause. You see these things cease. We understand why they cease. Everything which has a has an origin it must have a cessation. And so you see sankharas. You see them arise. Will has a cause. Therefore it must cease. And that's amazing to see these things. But <coughs> when you see these things, you understand just there's nothing left. It's all gone. It's totally empty. Everyone can believe in that. Everyone can have faith. Yeah, okay, fair enough. You call yourself a sadhanasari if you want. But have you really penetrated it and seen it happen? Because there's a problem with people because to see these things cease, you know, it's you cease as well. That's one of the problems. There's a great fear of non-existence, the biggest fear of a human being or any other being to sort of totally cease. And that's a tough one for people to do. That's why the more insight one has, the easier it is to let go. That's one of the great signs of insight, that you can get deeper meditations. So the two always work together, you know, nati jhananga panyasa. When you've got wisdom, it's easy to get jhanas. When you ain't got wisdom, it's tough. You're always holding on to something. You're stopping it happening. You're not letting go. These are the, the blisses of letting go, the nekama sukha, the, the joy, the blisses of renunciation, of letting things go, disappearing. So when you can, more you can do letting go and disappearing, the more you can get into jhanas, the more you can get into jhanas, the easier it is to let go because you realize there's nothing there anyway. So what are you holding on to things for? But it's just getting you started, that's all. Once you're started, once the snowball's rolling down the hill, seven more lifetimes and then you're finished. You are finished. You're done. Disappear. Gone. And I, yes, you know, I've been teaching like this for such a long time. It's amazing that there's still people out there, and famous people too, who still think, what a lot of rubbish Ajahn Brahm speaks. Of course there must be something left. Of course there must be the original mind, the cosmic consciousness, the merging with the oneness of all, to be one with everything. No, you're not one with everything. You're none with everything. <laughs> well, you say none with nothing. That's much better, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people want to be one with everything, but I want to be none with nothing. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> And people think you're really crazy when you say that, but that is the truth of things. And you can sort of see that in the suttas if you're really looking for it. A lot of times people can't see what's there because they're not looking for it or they refuse to see it because it's too challenging for them. But it's really all there. And this is like the great insight we have. The beautiful insight which you know, is not of ordinary people. Ordinary people you know, always have the idea... Uh, you know, this is the old Hollywood ending. 
and you know the boy meets the girl, they have a lot of trouble, but eventually they get married, and then they live happily ever after. And that's just many religions, it's happily ever after religions. But not Buddhism, this is not happily ever after, There's no ever after, no happiness, nothing, gone, finished, poof, alas, the movie's over. People say, what's the point of that? Not having a point, it's just the way this five candors actually is. Nothing there to begin with, so you haven't lost anything. This is the one most beautiful thing, that people think you're destroying something. No, there's nothing there to begin with, this is what you're supposed to realize. This whole point, the meaning of life, is to realize there's nothing here. You know, as Ajahn Chai used to say, Wang. That's one word which he meant. Those of you who've seen the Buddha comes to Sussex, when he tries to you know, give his um, very quick teaching you know, to the Westerners on BBC, he said, Wang, there's nothing, empty, gone. That's also, you know, that was a teaching he gave to me. You know, I said, what's the answer to the question, why? There's nothing. Isn't that beautiful? What's the meaning of life? The answer is, there's nothing. What's the end? There's nothing. What's now? There's nothing. Oh, what joy to know there's no bliss in this world. There's no suffering in this world. There's nothing. If you can understand that, then you can understand the Dhamma. So this is actually what we're supposed to be doing, and the insight actually comes. Sooner or later it happens, but you use the wisdom at the beginning to get you into deep meditation. The meditation just gives you more wisdom. It helps you let go more and more. And of course, what are you really letting go of? You're letting go of that whole simile of the hand, not what you're holding on to. That's where most people misunderstand letting go and detachment. It's very easy to detach from things, as long as I decide to detach or not detach. And of course, that's you know missing the most important part of letting go. Letting go of the very thing which decides what to do. Letting go of the thing inside this end of holding on to and grasping and craving. That's the most important thing to let go of. The one who does the craving. Me. Ajahn Brahm has to disappear before any meditation happens. Otherwise, if there's an Ajahn Brahm in here, he's always going to pick up something or make himself a cup of tea and put extra condensed milk in there. It's not my fault. It's Ajahn Brahm's fault. I take no responsibility. <laughs> this is actually what happens. You learn how to let go of everything inside. And then... You understand, there's nobody in here. You see everything disappearing. So what you took to be permanent, happy, and a self, you realize it's not. That is the basics of delusion. You know, people say that you know, Ouija is the cause of all things, even more fundamental than the uh, than the idea of a self. But that Ouija, that's what that is. It's got a nice definition. It's not ignorance. Ignorance can be solved by going to university or listening to the, the Dharma classes. So at least you know what the Buddha said. That's, that's not ignorance. It's like delusion. Now what is impermanent, such as you know your will, such as you, you take to be solid and everlasting. What is 
suffering you take to be happiness, like sex. I would love that one. Because that's, tell that to people in, in the world and they'll, they take you to the psychiatrist and have you locked up. You're weird. And that which is non-self, like your will, like the person listening to me, like mind, like jitter, all those things, what is non-self, people take to be self. To be a soul, permanent, solid, as everlasting as the universe itself, which isn't lasting anyway, so I don't know what they mean. Actually, you can agree with that. God lasts as long as the universe. And then God vanishes. Gets reborn somewhere else. Probably as a dog. <laughs> well, look what God has done to this universe. Global warming, AIDS, earthquakes, bad karma. God has made very bad karma. <laughs> Why not <laughs> say such things? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, go back to sort of letting go. It's just this is actually what we learn. And the reason I say these things is to put it in people's minds. Because if you don't say these things, if you don't actually put the suggestion out there, then human beings will never even see the possibility of letting go, of extinction, of Nibbāna. But once that is put out there, once there's that possibility, once there's that teaching, then you are opening the doors of the deathless. Because it's true. It's the Dhamma. And you just need to put it in people's heads. Yeah, they may reject it. Yeah, they may think it's crazy stuff. But they'll never be able to forget it. Because it's powerful. It's unusual. And it's true. And because of that, it stays. And it does its job. Now the idea of transmission in Buddhism, which the Tibetans are really into, that is in Theravada. Maybe never sort of said explicitly, but it is implicit. The way, was it Chulawaitala or Mahawaitala, I always get them confused. The cause of being a stream winner, one of them is, is Paratagosa. The words of another, the teachings of the Aryans. You don't need to have these teachings repeated every week. Just once is enough. To actually have the word of an Aryan, that there's nothing there. It's all gone. There is nobody. And this is the way to do it. It's a teaching which gets right inside of you. The sort of stuff which you used to get from Bajan Chah. Wang, there's nothing. It's the sort of teaching you just can't forget. You don't understand it. The teaching of sitting under the mango tree, which I heard in the very first year. You know, I forgot that teaching for about 13 or 14, 15 years. It just went out of my mind. And then suddenly, when you started getting some good meditation and some insights, it just came back. It had lodged somewhere in some dusty corner of my mind, ready to come out when I was ready to understand it. And that's why you teach this way. All of those cessations, finishing emptiness. Even if you don't understand a word of it, I don't care. It will lodge in your brain somewhere. And it will do its work, whether you want it or not. And after a while, when you're ready, it bears its fruit.
see the Dhamma and a beautiful, beautiful sense of freedom. There is no more birth. Finished. Not with being scared of this, but being so immensely relieved. Suffering ended. What people thought was happiness, the reason why they didn't want to stop, they find was suffering. Once you realize that, the only thing which is ending is suffering. The only thing which ever was there was suffering. As I think Wajira the Bhikkhuni said to Ma, one of those other beautiful, beautiful, beautiful suttas, when Mara sort of you know, asked who she thought she was, said, I'm nobody. All there is is suffering arising and suffering passing away. So if anybody asks you, you know, who said that? Say, suffering said that. <laughs> Just suffering arising and suffering passing away. That's who gave the talk this evening. Why did you pass out of the Dhamma? Sadhu.